Bible reading now. Uh, we're going to read from Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 14 on to 20. And as we come to this passage, we see that Jesus has just been baptised and had his temptation in the desert for 40 days, as was talked about in our kids' ministry. Uh, and now he comes to call his first disciples. Verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing the nets. Without delay he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Well, good morning again. I hope that you can all hear me um, clearly at the back. It's a joy to be with you and I'm very grateful to Chris, Reverend Chris, for giving the invitation to come and and minister um, uh, to you and for us to share uh, in God's word together um, this morning. We're going to be looking at this passage, Mark chapter 1, and as we kind of think about this passage, we are going to be considering the call to follow um, Jesus. Wherever we are in the world today, we cannot escape the all-pervading eye of the internet and of social media. People of all kinds of social media accounts, whether it's a Facebook account or a LinkedIn account for business business reasons, reasons, these all help us to, or facilitate us, in order to connect better uh, with one another, with friends, with business partners, and with family as well. And of course, there's also a Twitter, Twitter account. I don't have a Twitter account. Um, I'm, I'm signed up to academia.edu. That's a different account. Uh, where people also have a number of followers. Um, it's a kind of world that we live in, I guess. Uh, social media creates a bond for some. And people want to be liked as well. Uh, there is a virtual world out there that we can connect with people in all kinds of ways. I wonder if Jesus were around physically today here on earth, if he would have a Facebook account. Um, I would suggest if he did, he may not have had many followers, because Jesus hung out with all kinds of dodgy characters, shady characters, uh, people who were on the margins of society, widows and and orphans, um, diseased people and even prostitutes um, as well the so-called social outcasts of society. And yet, Jesus does enlist followers. The church today is evidence, is testimony of the fact that Jesus called people to himself. He called those alongside him to work with him, to serve with him, to minister alongside him. So my question to you and to myself today is, who are you following? Who am I? following. That's what our passage is about this morning, following Jesus. In the context, if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open it uh, with me and we can follow along. 
Our passage here is found immediately after Jesus' baptism, as was mentioned in the reading, and his announcing of the arrival of the good news through his person and his ministry. But Jesus needed recruits. And the significant point, of course, is that Jesus does not think that he can do everything on his own. I love the fact that Jesus was a great collaborator. Um, He worked with others, he trained others, and he sent them out with the good news of the love of God um, that he himself had been preaching. So Jesus trains others to assist and who will eventually go out uh, in the work that he is training them for. Incidentally, that's a pattern, of course, that that Paul followed. Uh, Paul was a a follower of Jesus and not the founder of Christianity, as some people would lead us to believe. And Paul himself, of course, co-joined with other workers. He had young Timothy alongside him. He worked with Priscilla and Aquila. He worked with Luke. And there were lots of other uh, Silas and and others here mentioned in the New Testament as well. Uh, Jesus and Paul uh, worked alongside others. They were great collaborators. They had co-workers, realizing that they couldn't do the work um, on their own. And as we think about this passage, it's traditionally known, um, and you can see the heading as the calling of the, the first disciples. This wasn't the first time that Jesus had met them. If you read John chapter 1 and verse 48, he had met these disciples before, but this is their call to service. They're called to ministry. They're called to go out with the good news of Jesus Christ. They're called to be learners of him. They're called to be disciples. Discipleship and disciples is a key mark and theme, a key theme that we can trace right throughout throughout the, the gospel itself. Most of the time, unfortunately, the disciples in Mark are portrayed in a very negative light. Uh, You remember, for example, after Jesus had calmed the storm, he said to the disciples in the boat, do you still have no faith? In Matthew we read, you have little faith. But here in Mark's Gospel, most of the time they're portrayed in a very pejorative, negative manner. But here, at least at the beginning of the Gospel, we have great expectations. We don't know any of that. Jesus calls them uh, to be um, his disciples and to participate with him. And we've got all the expectations and wondering how this will turn out um, as Jesus uh, gives them this particular call. The text, as you can see in Mark 1, we're looking at 1620 uh, especially, opens with a very vivid picture. If you look at the original, uh, the translation reads, as Jesus was passing along. Jesus is walking along. And there's that really wonderful picture, as Mark is a great storyteller. I sometimes think that Mark must have had Irish blood in him. He likes to tell stories in a very vivid and a very graphic way. You can just picture Jesus walking along. That's the picture that's portrayed. And it's a picture of motion. And it's a picture of of what Jesus wants the disciples themselves to do. To go out, to be involved, uh, to be motivated. And to share the good news um, of the gospel. We're told that he sees Simon and Andrew casting a net into the lake. They were probably standing alongside the lake and uh, there were various ways of fishing uh, in the first century Mediterranean world. Probably what uh, Simon and and Andrew had uh, was a a circular type net that you uh, bring from behind your back and it had little weights on it. And as you cast it out into the sea, the weights would cause it to land on the water and then uh, to slowly sink. Uh, encapsulating, trapping the fish that were there uh, in the net itself. 
he saw Simon and Andrew. Then we're told that he went a little bit further in verse 19, and he sees James and John, who were both, both brothers. They were on the deck of a boat, quite a different approach. They came from a family of means. Their father had a hired boat, or had a, had a boat, I should say, and hired men. And we're told that they too were preparing their nets, mending their nets, getting their nets ready uh, for the next evening's fishing. And Jesus says, follow me. Suddenly those words ring out, follow me. And that takes us to our our first point then, uh, the authority of the call. I'm not sure if this can move down for us. There we go. The authority of Jesus' call is the first point that I want to consider. Jesus says, follow me. In the text itself, it literally reads, come behind me. Walk behind me in the way that I am going. The way, of course, is another very marking term. The way on the road, on the way with Jesus. This is not simply an invitation by Jesus. These men were not to be volunteers. They were not even to decide to, uh, to follow Jesus initially. Jesus simply gives them the command to follow me. The thrust of the phrase in the original has an imperatival quality about it. In other words, it's command. Though the verb isn't a command, nevertheless, the adverb can be understood in that particular way. Uh, Follow me, Jesus says. And so we can see then that the invitation that Jesus gives is entirely on his initiative. Jesus begins this process. And it appears abruptly and suddenly. As these men are going about their daily work, suddenly Jesus breaks into their lives. And they hear this call ringing out, suddenly and abruptly, follow me. That can sometimes happen, can't it, in our Christian ministries? Or as we go about our business, our our ordinary business affairs. Suddenly Jesus calls us in an entirely different direction. It may take place over a number of years, but it can be sudden and can be abrupt and occur... uh, in a sudden, uh, in a moment. So there is a, as we look at this command, there is a kind of an authoritative ring about what Jesus has to say. There's an authoritative ring about the call. Not unlike, if you remember, back in the Old Testament when God called uh, Abraham the patriarch, leave your country and your people and go to the land that I will show you. The authority connected with this call is very clearly seen in the chapter itself, uh, and especially prevalent, especially prevalent in the early chapters of Mark's Gospel. If you look at chapter 1 and verse 22, uh, Jesus is teaching there, and we can read, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one having authority, and not as their teachers of the law. Indeed, if you move into chapter 2, whenever uh, the paralyzed man is brought to Jesus and he's teaching in a house and they have to open the roof to bring him down, uh, Jesus says to them, to the four men and to the man paralyzed, in verse 10 of chapter 2, it is recorded, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, take up your mat and go home. So we can see here the authority of the call that Jesus issues to the disciples. That's followed, secondly, by the promise of Jesus' call, our second point. 
Jesus tells these disciples that I will, I will send you out to fish for people. There may be an allusion here to the Old Testament, to Jeremiah 16, 16 to 18, where God threatens to send fishermen to judge his people, Israel, for their sin and then to bring them back from exile. There may be a note of judgment here. I think it's probably better to understand it in a much more positive way because these disciples were going out to preach the good news, the good news of the love of God. So there is a much more positive ring associated with the text that we have here. Jesus' promise is to send these disciples out to fish for people. The phrase literally reads, I will make you to become fishers of men. That's a literal translation. I will make you to become fishers of men. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's going to take a period of training, of living with Jesus, working alongside Jesus, learning how he works and the methods that he uses as as he preached the good news um, himself. Fishing too in first century Palestine was a very hard and a rough business. It involved long hours and it was a very dangerous occupation of course because of the geographical location of the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee. Um, because there could be sudden storms um, occurring uh, very quickly and and suddenly Um, and it could be a very dangerous place um, uh, to fish um, at that time. Jesus recruits them nevertheless as we see here to no longer be catching dead fish but live disciples for the kingdom. And as I mentioned a moment ago, they would need to be trained. I will make you to become fishers of men. Trained in Jesus' ways and in Jesus' methods to be taught by Jesus prior to sending them out on their own mission, as we read a little bit later on in the Gospel. No longer would their first priority be to check the weather, like we do in Northern Ireland, if it's going to rain today again or no. They wouldn't be doing that any longer. They wouldn't be checking how rough the sea was going to be, or if there was to be a sudden storm occurring. Rather, they would be fishing for people. No longer would the horizon be their deck of a boat, in the case of James and John. The horizon was about to expand and to be greater as they fished for people for the kingdom of God. But Jesus has promised to be with them. Jesus has promised to train them. I will send you out to become fishers of men. That's the promise. And then thirdly, we have our final point, not only the authority of Jesus' call, the promise of Jesus' call, but there is the response of the disciples to Jesus' call. You notice in verse 18 that we read, immediately. It's a wonderful little word. It's a Greek word, euthus. And there's a discussion about how many times it occurs in Mark's Gospel. I often get into uh, deep arguments with students about how many times it's there. Is it 38, 39, is it 40, 41, is it 42? I can't remember exactly now, but I think it's 42. I'm probably wrong. (laughs) But it occurs a lot of times. Uh, This is a typically Markan word. And of course, Mark's Gospel is the Gospel of Action. 
Jesus, like Aslan and C.S. Lewis's tales, where Aslan suddenly bounds and leaps into the storyline, we have a kind of picture of Jesus uh, preaching, Jesus teaching, Jesus healing. He doesn't say an awful lot, but there's a lot of action. And we have that wonderful um, uh, story, if you like, a very uh, vivid story of Jesus always uh, working and and moving uh, around uh, the ancient Mediterranean world. So we're told that the disciples immediately, in verse 18, if you have your text there, at once, the NIV translated, at once they left their nets and followed him, without delay, immediately. There isn't the moment's slightest hesitation on the part of the disciples. There's complete obedience to the Master, breaking in suddenly and abruptly into their lives. There's no question, there's no discussion. I, I, as, I, as I kind of think about this, I can hear my Americans, my American friends saying, Hey buddy, buddy, wait a minute, wait a minute, where are we going? Uh, let's put our case of clothes together before we leave. But there isn't any of that. No questioning. Um, just simple obedience. Not knowing where they were headed, where they were going, or how they were going to get there. No mention of a destination, no mention of a place. Just like the saints of old, just like Abraham the patriarch we mentioned, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. He went as the Lord had told him. It's a bit like, I love the Elijah narratives, those four or five chapters in First Kings. Elijah the prophet, we read there, suddenly bursts into the scene and makes this announcement to King Ahab, everybody's evil, turning away from God. And then suddenly God takes Elijah out of the picture and sends him off to Zarephath, if you remember, in chapter 17. In chapter 17 of 1 Kings, in verse 2, we read, we read there, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Cherith ravine. In verse 3, we read Elijah's response. So he did what the Lord had told him. Simple. He went to the Cherith ravine and he stayed there. He stayed there until God moved him on. And then in verse 8, we read of that chapter, Then the word of the Lord came again to Elijah, Go at once to Zarephath. So he went and he obeyed and he went to Zarephath. Complete obedience, just like the disciples. There's not a moment's hesitation. But weren't these disciples being a little bit rash? Did they not sit down first and think about the cost of following Jesus? Of what the implications of that could mean, familiarly, uh, economically, in terms of a business and so on? No, we don't read any of that. Instead, without delay, he called them and they left. They left. They left their father Zebedee in the boat and they followed him, followed Jesus. They left him and they followed. To understand something of the magnitude of what that really meant in the first century world of Jesus' day, we need to really comprehend the, the basic social unit of society, which was the family. The family was the very basic social uh, structure of, of ancient life. The ancients were very different to us in our 21st century Western civilization, where independency is the key, 
uh, to how we live our lives. If you step back into the ancient world, and I've seen this in Africa and I've seen this in the Pacific Islands, people were much more commonly oriented than we are today uh, in our, our 21st century living. Children in the ancient world traced their origins back to their parents. Their, not only their origins, but their sense of identity and their understanding of who they were. It was really traced back to their parents, but also to their father in particular. And so for these disciples to leave their father uh, would have been a life-changing moment. They were doing something quite out of the ordinary because in the ancient world the father-son relationship was an interesting one it was a reciprocal relationship fathers did certain things for the children so did mothers mothers loved their children they nursed their children and so on Uh, fathers loved them as well they exercised authority they were to be an example for them to follow and children were expected to obey expected to imitate expected to love in return and demonstrate affection But the last social expectation of every child in the ancient world, especially if you were a son, was to hang around to bury your father. That's why when we read in Luke 15, the younger son hiking off to the city, he's uh, really uh, turning away from the last social responsibility, which was to bury your father. And so as Jesus calls these disciples to follow him, there is a clash of loyalties here. Are they going... Are Simon and Andrew, James and John, especially James and John, where the father is mentioned, are they going to uh, follow, uh, at least follow their biological families and, and put that as a priority? Or are they going to become members of Jesus' eschatological family and to follow him? Are they going to prioritize and, and seek to put Jesus first and to be his disciples? We see that clash of loyalties if you flick over to Luke 9, especially in a number of verses there, Luke 9 and 57 and following. Uh, Jesus met a man who said, I will follow you wherever you go. It's about discipleship and the cost of discipleship, this little passage. In Luke 9 and 59, to another Jesus said, follow me. This person said, let me first go and bury my father. That last social expectation. In verse 61 of Luke 9, we read, Still another said, I will follow you, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. Family was of of paramount importance um, in the the ancient world. So there's a, a clash of loyalties in these two responses. One son wanted to carry out the last act, that is to give his father a decent burial. The other was faced with putting his physical family in order before he signed up to become a member of Jesus' new household that he was establishing. We all, if we are disciples, have faced these challenges in one sense or another. They are part and parcel of being a disciple. Didn't Jesus, after all, say in another passage that we read this morning, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. In 1986, that's a long time ago now when I think of it, uh, my wife and I were felt God was strongly calling us to Nigeria. Uh, an opportunity had opened for me to teach in a seminary that I felt strongly uh, God was calling me to do. Uh, 
we had signed up to go. We had thought hard and long about it. We had sought out the advice of uh, more uh, old, older folk uh, that we trusted and that we knew. Uh, we had taken different soundings. We had got some money together. And our church was very willing to set us aside and send us out to Nigeria um, and to provide all our material needs. When suddenly my mother's wife died uh, at the age of 62. We were rocked. We weren't sure what to do. We talked to Yvonne's father, to Dick. We talked to our elders, our pastor. We talked with Christian friends that we trusted and knew us well. And I remember distinctly Yvonne's father coming to us one day and he said, well, you must go. You must follow Jesus. The clash of the biological family over becoming followers of Jesus and the new family that he was establishing and building. Have you ever been there? Do you know someone who has been there? God and his providence provided for my wife's father because her older brother had a farm. Dick, uh, Yvonne's father, was a farmer. And her older son, um, her older brother, uh, Dick's son, had a farm adjacent to uh, Yvonne's father's farm. And so in his providence, God provided um, a way for us to be able to go to Nigeria um, at, at that time. Even in the case of Zebedee and for uh, James and John, if you read the text there, he had a boat and he was a person of means, but he had a number of hired men as well who would be able to continue in the fishing business and to help him as well. Well, here then is a narrative about discipleship. And we are all called to be followers of Jesus. All of God's people, the elementary school teacher, the mechanic, the clerk in the office, the university lecturer, um, whatever you do for a living, God has called us to do that. There aren't two callings for the missionary and the pastor. There isn't this kind of two-tier calling, but each of us is called. And we must look at our, uh, our, our work as a, as a vocation, as what God can use us to do in the place where he has put us, so that we can be salt and light in offices, in universities, in hospitals, in schools, in the community, wherever God has placed us. That's what he wants us to be, salt and light, to be his disciples to take the, the good news of the love of God into our communities so that we can permeate those community, communities and change them uh, for the good of the Christian gospel. So if we are dis disciples, we are all called and we must see our work and, and what God has called us to do as, as a vocation and service to him. Well, here then we have the the call to discipleship, the authority of Jesus' call, the promise of Jesus' call, the response to Jesus' call. Let me ask you today, who, who are you following? Who am I following? May God help us as we seek to serve him, uh, to seek first, seek first Christ's kingdom and his righteousness, and that everything else will be added to us as well. Let's bow together as, as we pray. Oh, Father, we thank you again for your word and the challenge of your word. We thank you for Jesus and for his call upon our lives. 
We thank you for the privilege of serving you and of making Christ known to the nations. And so we pray for your grace uh, and your help and your presence and the leading of your spirit this week as we go back to our places of employment that your call upon our lives may enable us to see that we are your voice, your witness in the factory floor, on the factory floor and university and hospitals in our communities. We pray that we may see that you have called us there and that you might help us to make an impact for the kingdom and to take your love to those who are on the margins of society, to those who need to hear of your love and to see your love being practiced. And so we pray for your grace uh, to replicate that love through our words and through our ways. We ask this for Christ's sake. Amen.